All right, team, welcome to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and joining me today is Mr. Owen Marcus, who specializes in men's or masculine emotional intelligence. So we're going to be talking extensively this episode about what is emotional intelligence, why it's so important for your life, for your relationship, for your career, purpose, happiness, etc., how to develop and deepen that emotional intelligence. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Owen Marcus. So after 20 years of working on healing and working with his Asperger's syndrome and dyslexia, he discovered something was still missing. His mind was fully working, but his life wasn't. He wasn't happy. His relationships with women were, were sometimes struggling. And so he'd done a lot of work to understand what was going on behind the scenes, which led him down the path of doing a tremendous amount of men's work. And it led him down the path of training in somatic psychotherapy, of which he is now a member of the United States Association for Body Psychotherapy. And for years after this, for the last few decades, he's trained coaches, therapists, and uh, psychiatrists in the work that he does, specifically in the work that he does with Everyman. So Owen Marcus is a co-founder of Everyman, and he has supported men's work, men's groups, uh, men's organizations for the last few decades in really allowing men to develop a more uh, a deeper sense of how to actually navigate their emotional landscape. And if you listen to this show, if you've tuned into my work before, you will know how important that is to me and uh, how relevant this conversation is, because I think that somatic work, specifically understanding where we feel in the body is important, because for a lot of men that come and start to do this work, you know, you ask a man, what are you feeling right now? And for the most part, uh, a lot of guys just don't know. You know, it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm feeling ashamed. I don't know if I'm feeling embarrassed. You know, most of us can tell when we're feeling angry, but that's kind of about it for some guys. And so having a, a more robust language understanding of how to detect what we are feeling, what, you know, what not only just what we're thinking, but what we're experiencing, and then how to traverse that territory is an incredibly important uh, work and tool and resource because for the majority of us, simply ignoring our emotional body is not necessarily an option, or it is an option, but maybe not the most effective one. You know, emotions are simply information and information that's valid and important when it comes to making some of the biggest decisions in our life, uh, decisions that relate to your career or your relationship or your marriage or, you know, how you're parenting your children how you're engaging with your family. So this conversation is going to go into the topic of what is somatic psychotherapy? How do we as men begin to build out a system of working with and understanding our own emotions so that we are more grounded? You know, I think in many ways, this is what the Stoics were really talking about. It's not that they uh, were advocating for emotional disconnection or emotional numbness and suppression and avoidance. It was actually a more full understanding of what they were experiencing at all times. And so this is a, a wonderful conversation. I'm sure that I'll have Owen back on in the future, but I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did. It's very comprehensive and uh, he gives some very good, clear direction and insight. So without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Owen Marcus. All right, Owen, welcome to the Man Talk Show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Connor. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, I've been watching your work and the and the work uh, that every man has been doing for quite a long time, and 
it's interesting because I've heard your name, you know, through so many people. You're, you're sort of this larger than life figure that I've heard about in the in the space from a number of friends. And so it's great to get to be here with you and connect with you and speak with you and and, and pick your brain a little bit. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. So let's let's begin with the normal question that I ask everyone, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. The one that comes to mind is um, I'd gone out of college. I was traveling in and outside the country. I ended up in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, I was working a construction job, became a foreman. It was like working in a penal colony. And I was living in a house with a group of guys. And one friend was from Florida or one roommate. He uh, invited his friend to come out and live with us. He'd given up his law practice of eight years to learn how to be a rolfer. And a rolfer is a kind of body work that deals with the the chronic stress in the body and and releases the fascia or the soft tissue of the body to realign it. And so Breck, being the good attorney he was, he argued his case every night about why I should get rolfed. And after a a few weeks of it, I said, all right, all right, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Just shut up. (laughs) <laughs> and I tried it, uh, and I think it was within the first session I decided I wanted to do it. And I went through the series of 10 sessions and once a week. Nine months later, I was an inch taller and 20 pounds lighter. And I wasn't fat. Uh, I was just, that's how tense I was. It was this tension that left. But having my body release that chronic stress and tension really opened up my life. And it transformed it, and it set me on that now 45-year trajectory of where I'm at now. And I spent four years in Boulder learning rolfing, uh, somatic psychotherapy, and all these other related uh, disciplines that uh, continue to open me up. But really, uh, unbeknownst to me at that time, became the foundation of future work, uh, particularly with men. Beautiful. I love that. What uh, what form of construction were you doing? Uh, I was a foreman for a pre-stressed concrete company. Okay. So we made those <laughs> big slabs and make big buildings. Beautiful. Yeah, I worked I worked in gravel pits for a few years in northern Canada and then uh built sidewalks in in Edmonton, Alberta for for a couple summers to pay for my college degree. So I I totally understand the the stress there was uh, the stress that the body can carry. You know, I spent 12 hours a day sometimes sledgehammering in pins and uh, for for concrete forms and carrying these you know big twelve long twelve foot long metal beams around and I was ripped I was in great shape but I mean I I was just so tense um, well so let's let's start a little bit on the somatic side you know I think I would love for you to maybe just speak a little bit to the what somatic work can do can be you know why we carry so much stress in the body. Um, so let's let's just start a little bit there because I think a lot of the men that I've worked with, when they start to get into this, the somatic aspect I think is is really the surprising one. So is it a man thing to carry that much stress in the body, and and where do you see us sort of carrying a lot of our stress? It's a human thing, uh, but yes, men do it more. So for over forty years, I had a rolfing practice, and then uh, when I was in Scottsdale, integrated medical clinic. So. I work with all different kinds of guys from, uh, you know, Olympic and professional athletes to most of them were just average guys. And and what I found was we don't realize how much stress we put on our bodies. Now, the guy that wrote the, the book on stress, he was a physician named Hans Selye. He had actually ended up going to uh, Canada to practice because when he wrote the book, he was called a quack. Of course, everything mm-hmm. he's written about has since been proven. 
But he called fascia this connective tissue that holds everything together in our body, the organ of stress. And so what happens is that fascial system just gets tighter and tighter. So when we you know, feel our tight shoulders and we feel these knots, it's really just scar tissue. But most of that scar tissue we picked up, we picked up not from physical activity, but the chronic accumulation of stress and trauma. And so what happens is that it's like we continue to talk about the brain and all the aspects of the brain around everything from you know, our mental abilities to stress and trauma. But no one really talks about the, the somatic or physical component. Well, they are a little more now. But what I learned from, you know, some brilliant people and learned from, you know, thousands of clients over the years is that we really store this stuff in the memory of it in our bodies. And I got a lot of examples. I and mean, one quick one pops up is, this is probably 30 years ago, I was working on a fellow that was an ex-Special um, Forces officer. And this is you know, in the Vietnam War. And he was behind enemy lines. And they were going to ambush a village. And then they got ambushed. And it came out in a session as he's shaking and crying and releasing that he had a break in neck of a 12-year-old boy, hmm. which was hugely traumatic for him. But he had to do, you know, protect his platoon. And out of that, he developed this chronic leg and hip problem that no one could fix. And after that emotional release in that one session where he just sobbed for 20 minutes straight, the next week he came in, he was completely different. His hip was completely healed. And so, I mean, that's an extreme example of how we store our stress in our bodies. And there's two ways to get to it. One is certain kinds of body work or, or working with the body to release the stress. And the other is you know, working with our emotions in a way that tie into the physiology of stress and it allows the physiology in the body to release. Hmm. So, I mean, I just, I think, I love what you're saying, because I think in many ways, it's applicable for the, you know, the people that are listening. And I think we've all kind of felt that to some degree, you know, that when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're angry, that your body responds to that emotional state. I know for me, I can feel oftentimes when I start to get angry, this sort of tension in the chest or, or expansion and explosiveness in the chest and hands kind of get a little activated and you know, can feel that emotional manifestation within the physical body. So maybe just if you can speak to a, a little bit around why this is so relevant for men, you know, why this is the, because uh, I guess I'm understanding that this is sort of some of the primary work that you do with men, right, is, is working somatically with them, helping them get into what their emotions are, where they're stored in the body, helping them release that. Why is this so relevant and important for men? Well, uh, unlike what you just described with your awareness, I had none of that. Mm. Yeah, and I think I was like a lot of guys, but probably worse before I started. So if you ask me, oh, and what do you feel? I'd you know, roll my eyes or you know, try to find the, the closest door out of the room because I didn't want to go into emotional feelings. But once I got connected to my body, and this is what I see, you know, we see with men is, you know, most guys are emotionally unintelligent and it's not our fault, it's just how we got trained. But we don't have that emotional awareness. And so, we, you know, you ask a guy that, and most guys in the beginning just don't know how to connect or at least how to articulate it. But most guys can connect to their bodies or can connect to their bodies much quicker. So we just work with men in very simple, easy ways to get them aware of their bodies and aware of what you just described. You know, that, you know we could be sitting in a group and a guy is getting activated, maybe angry or sad, 
and you ask the man, what does he feel? And he says nothing in the beginning. But mm. it's obvious to every guy sitting in the room that he's feeling things because he has all these body reactions. It, you know, his hands are moving, his face is red, eyes are getting cheery, but he has no awareness of his emotion over his body. So we slow him down. We get him to feel like one of the things that he that we see happening to his body, and then we get him to feel another thing. And then after a minute or two of having him feel his body, and then we ask him, you know, John, what do you feel emotionally? And then without thinking, he says, oh, I feel sad. But you could keep asking him emotionally, what, is he, what are you feeling? And he sort of goes into this freeze response, which is a, you know, one of the survival responses, and he checks out, and he feels like it's a performative thing that he's failing at, which, you know, I was there. So rather than have guys feel like they're just failing more and more, we sort of come in that back door of, all right, what do you feel in your body? And then what do you feel in your emotions? Can you speak a little bit, you know, I think there's a lot of talk around emotional intelligence. You know, this term gets thrown around quite a bit. And I think that for a lot of men, they have a, a sort of vague understanding of like, okay, emotional intelligence is just being able to understand my emotions to some degree. But I'd like to get your take on how do you define emotional intelligence? And, and then secondarily, how do we as men begin to develop a more comprehensive toolkit for us to be emotionally intelligent? Yeah, I remember, you know, this is decades ago, I met uh, Dan Goldman, the guy that wrote the book on it, um, and he was actually a friend of one of my teachers, Ron Kurtz, that's how I met him, and so he was well aware of the somatic component, but because of their culture, we tend to interpret everything in a more cognitive way. So to start with, you know, we, we often say, how do I understand things more? And so it, we think, and I use that word deliberately, that being emotionally intelligent is more about understanding our emotions. And what I'll often say is the understanding, the real understanding sort of comes on the back end. Uh, what we need is the connection to our emotions, and, co and connection to our emotions is a connection to our emotional experience. Mm. And so for me, our emotional intelligence is really being present with your emotions and then being able to articulate them, not from your head, not from understanding it. And this is what I hear from a lot of guys. You ask them about their emotions, and they start to describe it from a place of observation and judgment and analysis, but not from the place of experience. And I learned this, and this is what got me into all this men's work, because I had a, a partner that one evening, and I'll never forget this, sitting on the couch, she kept on saying, Owen, I don't feel you. And I kept on explaining my emotions. <laughs> and finally, finally, it hit me was, I'm just explaining it. I, and she was, she's being very patient and I wasn't getting mad, but I was sort of arguing or debating that I, you know, I'm being emotional. This is why, these are the reasons why I'm being emotional. And finally it hit me like, I'm not being emotional. I'm just being completely mental. Now, I understood that, but I couldn't, at that moment, drop down to my emotional experience and connect to my emotions so I could connect to her mm. so she felt a real connection there. Now, it took all this work I started doing to really develop that skill set. I love the way you're <clears throat> articulating it because I think in many ways, like I, I, I remember being a, a fairly emotional child, you know, just being a, a, a very, I was a big feeler, you know, really, really big feeler. I would cry and I remember crying for a number of reasons as a kid uh, all the time. And as I got older, you know, played hockey, worked construction, did those things, that part of me got sort of pushed down over the years. 
And it's not that it went away and it's not that I wasn't present to it. And it's not that I didn't have access to it. I just had never developed the tools to be in touch with it until pushing that shit down over the years just destroyed my life and I hit rock bottom and all, all this other stuff. And, you know, hence why man talks exists, what I do today. Um, but it, certainly I had a very similar experience as to what you're talking about in the beginning where after my sort of rock bottom and collapse, I started to realize that I was completely disconnected to how I was feeling. You know, that I had built a lot of my identity around emotional rejection, emotional avoidance. And I definitely have started to see that in a lot of men. You know, you, you talked about how we're sort of trained this way. And I'm curious to get your take on where do you believe that most of us men learn how to deal with our emotions? Like, what's the input that we normally get? In one way, it's like we don't learn, um, but we always, we do obviously learn. We learn not to be emotional. Uh, I think it's a function of a few things. And one of the things I realized several years ago was that, you know, we are meant to be emotional. You know, now the research proves it as if we needed proof, but we need, we need to be emotional. We need to be connected to other people and we can't be connected to other people unless we're connected to ourselves. Now, one of the things that happened was, you know, we all left a tribe like 10,000 years ago. But what really pushed us further along this path of not being connected was, uh, I would say, 200 years ago when we left the farm for the factory and all these guys had to go to work. So our fathers, our uncles, and, and the masculine part of the community were gone. And so their mothers stepped up and raised us. The teachers were women. And so what's happened over the last few hundred years is that um, our model and our experience and our training has been more a feminine model of emotionality, which works for women, and it's not bad, but it's not complete for men. Hmm. And, and and that model for men is not working for women. And so I think that's a, a, an integral part of what's missing is that we have not seen in this culture, you go to more aboriginal kinds of cultures, you do see it, but we have not seen in this Western culture for many years models of how to be embodied in your emotions, to be connected to your emotions, and be connected to other people, men and women. Mm. But the power of your work and our work at Everyman is through all these different experiences from coaching to trainings to whatever, and with other men, men get to teach each other through their own authentic and vulnerable modeling. And it and it's like when you when we take the feminine and the cultural part, you know, the standard cultural part out of the, the mix for men, you just put them in a a container with some simple agreements like confidentiality, pretty quickly they start teaching each other. And it's like we we start to pick it up where we left it off. And you know, one man becomes vulnerable or authentic, and that shows everyone that the space is safe. And then every guy starts to play with it or practice it. And over time, we start to learn these skills that we we never got to see and we start teaching each other because a lot of this kind of learning naturally is through observation. Mm. And through observation and experimentation, we actually start to embody these new or really old emotional skills. Yeah, I was reminded of a Terrence McKenna quote where he, he said, there's an archaic revival happening. You know, we're entering into an archaic revival where the ways of the old, the things that we've become disconnected from and, and uh, uncoupled from in some ways that were really supportive for us as human beings, you know, in a lot of a lot of ways that developed community and helped us understand one another and helped us understand ourselves are starting to reemerge back into the collective consciousness through 
whatever it is, your work, our work, psychedelics, that kind of stuff is all starting to become mainstream again, which is quite interesting. I, I want to back up to what you were talking about before, because I feel like that's very relevant and I don't want to, I don't want to skip past it, which is this distinction or differentiation between maybe the the feminine or female manner of emotional processing versus the a man's emotional processing. Um, because I agree 100%. I, I do think that culturally right now, we're in a time where the female-centric way of going through the world, making decisions, but more specifically, the female-centric way of being able to feel has been very much pressed upon men, right? This notion of like, well, you know, you'd just be a better man if you had if you were more vulnerable, right? Your problems would just go away if you were just mm-hmm. more vulnerable. And I think that that's true to some degree, but I'm really curious to get your take on what is the distinction or the differentiation between those two spectrums? Well, I think one of the things that I'm sure you hear is that, you know, men need to be more feminine or get more in touch with the feminine side. And I understand where that's coming from. In its essence, I would agree with that. But I know a little for myself and I see with other guys, they bristle when they hear that. And so that sort of represents how we we associate all emotions with the, with the feminine. And it's like the masculine, the assumption there doesn't have emotions or our model is not good. Well, in its essence, it is good. How it's been taught to us, it's limiting for men and women. And so I think what happens is that you know, women are very expressive, which we love. We love that about women. But the way that they express is not our way of expressing. Hmm. Not that we can't cry or all these other things, but you know, from sitting in thousands of hours of men's groups and, and all these other things over, well, over 25 years with men, uh, and then in my own practice, is that, you know, as, and we teach therapists this because most therapists are women, and, and they don't really get this sense of um, how do men really process their emotions? So one of the things that we often do is we need structure. Where a woman, and this is sort of the, the classic example, but I think there's a lot of truth to it, can just sit down and talk to any woman and pretty much go deep pretty quickly. Where a guy, we sit down and talk to a guy, and maybe you know we can go deep into sports or cars or computers or tech or whatever it might be, but there's this um, unspoken agreement that we don't go deep with you know our own experience, our own life. That said, you create um, an agreed-upon structure like you do in our trainings and groups or even coaching, and most guys will start to open up because with structure, we can go pretty deep and be consistent. So what I've found over the years is that women can go there quicker, but men will go deeper and often stay there longer. Mm. You know, Once you know a guy gets committed to his process and he has his forum or his method or his cohort to do it with, these guys will keep going for it way beyond what brought them in to do it. Because it's like, all right, I'm way beyond my pain. You know, I'm getting so much from this brotherhood, so much for this experience. And I, you know, I know you see this, Connor. I want more and more. And and so a lot of what we are lacking around emotionality for men is really that deeper connection with other men. And once we have that, we have this sort of internal validation that not only is my emotions are fine, but I'm okay and I'm good enough. We did a study a couple of years ago uh, on men, and the biggest takeaway was that guys don't feel they're good enough, mm-hmm. and and we don't get that unless we're with other men. But when other men can honor another man, that's a huge 
breakthrough for that guy because in in this other culture that we live in, we often don't have any honoring. And so an honor is a big thing for men. And women don't often understand that. Now, Alison Armstrong, uh, who works with men and women and had her on our podcast, she has said that women don't have honor. And of course, she pisses women off when she says that. But what she's saying is really that honor is a huge thing for men. And in some ways, that is a unique emotion for men. Would you just briefly, would you say that there's a much differentiation or distinction between honor and respect? Or are those two things sort of interconnected? I think they're interconnected, but I think honor is unique. And honor ends up, I see it, as the antidote for shame. Mm. Yeah, say more about that. Yeah, so, you know, if you're, you know, coaching with me or, you know, you're in a group and you share about how you didn't perform well at something, you know, say at work today and you you flubbed the presentation and you have all the shame, you know, about that, but it's really tied into the shame going back to maybe school, your childhood, and you start to feel that. And, you know, I say, you know, Connor, wow. I mean, that took a lot of courage to show up at work and try something new. And yeah, you maybe you've, in your judgment, you fail at it. But really, I, you know, I really respect your courage to one, show up, take that risk, be willing to fail, and then come in, into this group and share your experience in such a vulnerable way. And so you go from, you know, feeling shame and everyone else in the group sort of shakes their head and gives their comparable input. And you go, wow, shit. Yeah. You know, I feel good. Well, you know, I did something that was courageous. And we don't do that for each other as men unless we're in these contexts that we're talking about. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And you know, you were talking about one of the distinctions between how we as men and, and sometimes women will process or experience our emotions is this notion of structure. And so I would love for you to just maybe touch on that a little bit in terms of, you know, I think you said confidentiality, which I think is a huge thing. Um, but what other components do you find are like, what other ingredients do you think are necessary for the structure to be in place for men to really have these these types of depth-oriented conversations and relationships? Well, I think we all need to feel emotionally safe. So when we work with tech companies and, and, and others, you know, we go in there, and one of the things that I first teach is we got to have emotional safety because if I don't feel safe, I will not be vulnerable, or my vulnerability won't really be authentic. And so I got to, you know, to, to really be vulnerable, I got to be connected to my experience. I got to be connected to my sensations, my body sensations, my emotional sensations, that if I'm in a stress or survival or threat response, those are naturally going to be shut down or downregulated. And, I, you know, I'm going to be focused on survival. So my conscious mind might go, oh, I am safe in this room. No one's going to hit me. And no one's maybe even criticizing me. But because of my past trauma or stress, I feel unsafe. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be disconnected. And so that's the first thing is creating a structure that facilitates safety. And what we do with men is, you know, we have some simple protocols. And the first one is, you know, as we said, confidentiality. What happens in this space stays in this space. And what I see with men, and and I was surprised, you know, when I started these groups years ago, you know, 99.9% of the time it is honored. I wouldn't have thought it would have been that well honored, but it was, and it has been. 
And so guys can do that. Now I hear from so many women that they don't do that. They don't, they don't honor those kinds of agreements. Uh, but men will do that. So guys start to feel safe. And another is like, we need to know what the rules of engagement are. And so, you know, in our grooves and with every man, you know, we have simple rules of engagement. It's like, and guys, once they know what the rules are to play the game on that field, they start playing that game. And so, like in our groups, we have certain rounds, like, you know, we do the first check-in round, which is really, you know, just what's happening in the moment. So once guys understand that, they, they relax. They go, oh, oh, I can do that. I can do this. And they get a way to engage. And so what happens is when we understand what's expected of us and we, ha- we see other guys doing it, we go, oh, hell, I'll give it a try. I think I can do that. Yeah, I, I agree. I love that. I, I love that um, that notion of like having men get into the arena, you know, and that if you give them the structure of how to operate, that they that they'll honor that. And I, I would agree. I think that ninety nine point nine percent of the time, men will honor those those uh, structures. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about this notion of embodiment, because again, I think that term, you know, some of these terms that we're using, they get thrown around quite a bit, and oftentimes aren't necessarily defined. In other, in other contexts or spaces. And so I would love for you to just give your definition of what it means to be embodied, and then we'll explore maybe some of the ways in which we as men can cultivate that embodiment. Yeah, so being embodied is being connected to your somatic or body experience or being able to be connected. So it's not like you're always feeling your body, but like I was saying to a class I was teaching last night, it's sort of like peripheral sight. So yeah, we when you're not focused necessarily in, what, in what's happening in your periphery, but if something happens, like you know, something moves or whatever, it becomes into your awareness, and so it's the ability to to be connected to your physical experience, and and with that, your deeper emotional connection. So one of the ways that I talk about this is it's we call it emotional physiology. It's the convergence of our emotions and the physiology of stress and trauma coming together. Because more and more, you know, after all these decades of working with men and women, I'm willing to say that the vast majority, and maybe all, our emotional problems start with our physiology. In other words, in some version of a, of a trauma response, which doesn't mean you had trauma, but it just means that you're stuck in that free state of of uh, of trauma or PTSD. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I appreciate and that's, that. And that. And that free state, it's a state of not being embodied. Yeah, okay. That's a good distinction. So what are some of the tools, resources, practices that you think men uh, or that you, that you give to men in order to develop? I know that a lot of what we've been talking about is about being embodied, but what are some of the other resources or ways in which men can start to practice this embodiment? Um, came up with a little formula for guys because we like things that are simple and it's called the rock formula, R-O-C. So we slow down to relax, we open up to be vulnerable and we reach out to connect. And so that's one thing. And all through that is this sense of some somatic mindfulness. So mindfulness has gotten real popular uh, thanks to John Kabat-Zinn and of course many others, but he's the one that really put it on the map. We would add that somatic piece. So you're not just aware of your thoughts, you're aware of your body. And again, that is a quicker track for most guys to becoming aware of their emotions. And so Mm -hmm. to be embodied is to be mindful of your somatic experience. So 
is the science has shown us, we have a, a somatic or physiological response before we have an emotional response and before we have a mental awareness. Our bodies respond innately. And a lot of the work with Stephen Porges has you know, not only proven it, but shown us how to use co-regulation to get reconnected. Can you just say a little bit about uh, co-regulation to just to define, maybe define that term so that the listener knows what it is? Yeah. So co-regulation is this natural ability we have to use others to learn how to connect. So what Stephen Porges, who's a scientist through all his research on um, polyvagal theory, which is you know the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve, and he just discovered that one part of that nerve is a part that all mammals have that allows us to connect to each other. And so that nerve and all the innovations and all you know the organs and muscles related to it are picking up reading or, or demonstrating or expressing how we feel threatened or not threatened. And so I come into a room, you're sitting there, Connor, and unconsciously, intuitively, I read you. I read your face, I read your body language, I read movements, I read your um, breath, I read all these subtle autonomic cues that tell me if you're in a sympathetic or we'll say stress state or a parasympathetic or relaxed state. So if you're in a relaxed state, you are safe. And so if you're safe, if I'm picking all these cues up, I'm going to downregulate my threat response and I'm going to feel safe. And you're going to pick that up from me and you're going to feel safe. And so that process of picking up these subtle cues is a process of co-regulating. We regulate our physiology in that connection. Now, in the best case scenario, we learned how to do this from our parents because our parents or caregivers were doing that with or for us. And when we did not have that, we have gaps in our ability to self-regulate, to be able to do it for ourselves. So we learn how to do it from, for ourselves because we learned how to do it with other people. Now, again, working with men like we do, we end up teaching each other how to co-regulate. Again, we sort of pick up where our parents left off. So we're you know, in these groups, and guys, and it certainly happens virtually, starts to read each other. And as they're reading each other in this safe space, they start to train their nervous system to be able to read it, relax, and open up in this co-regulated state. So once their nervous system gets enough of that, it starts to generalize into the rest of their lives. Yeah, be- beautifully said. I, I appreciate that. I, sent, I have a one-year-old right now. I think he's he's just about to be 13 months old. And so there's a lot of practicing in that, you know, if he's hurt himself or fallen down or something like that. And being in a calm state and it's it's been a i mean it's been a really interesting experience to just notice that when i'm worked up or if i'm angry about something or i'm not present and i'm frustrated about something how quickly he can he tunes into it you know and he'll become disrupted in some capacity and it's like oh right okay <laughs> so that's a very well, that's beautiful real, yeah and, and that's yeah. how it is that's co-regulation and that's yeah. the mirror neurons and he starts to, to mirror your experience and starts to sort of act it out. Yeah. But the good side is, as you've heard, when you're relaxed and you're self-regulated, he immediately links to that. And and the research shows that as a parent, we only need to connect 30% of the time in that, 
you know, true a connection level that, you know, the therapists talk about in terms of secure attachment to really entrain our kids to be able to do it for themselves. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, it's been, uh, again, just, it's been a really interesting experience to see secure attachment happen, you know, with, with our, with our child, uh, and just coming, you know, coming back into the room after being away for a few hours or for the afternoon or, or whatever it is. And to see his response is just like, oh, cool. You know, <laughs> like I can see what's, you know, what secure attachment looks like. Right. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be present. It's just a state of being rather than any kind of performative thing. You just run, come into a room and you're present, you're relaxed. He immediately picks that up and he's connected to you. And that's all he needs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like we could go down that that rabbit hole, but I want to come back to I want to come back to just before we maybe talk about cultivating presence and what that looks like. I want to come back to this notion of emotions giving cues in the body. Cause I think we're, you know, we're talking about uh having some more depth of emotional awareness in the body, what it feels like somatically and I would love for you to maybe just talk about something like anger or anxiousness and give the listener some cues to what what they might be experiencing. Because I think for a lot of men, what what I've experienced over the years is that a, a lot of us have just become emotionally constipated, you know, where we are sort of numb to what it feels like in the body. And so we don't even know what to look for. And so I would love for you to just maybe give some insight into what are some of the indicators that they're feeling angry or anxious or whatever emotion you want to just sort of reflect on. Yeah. So I'll start by saying that we and I was a master at disconnection. And that disconnection is from that free state. So when we can't run and we can't fight, uh, and it started as a kid, and it doesn't mean we have to literally do those two, but we we couldn't express ourselves. We didn't have agency. So our Third option or default is that we freeze, we disassociate. And then in the animal kingdom, you know, you play dead. Uh, but the problem is, is that we never came back out of that. So mm-hmm. we become more and more disconnected. And we get, and with that, as we talked about earlier, we become tighter and tighter. So again, our, you know, you might be, you know, getting very emotional, but you're not aware of your emotions and you're not aware of your physical response. And there's one more other thing that I'll get into some of the specifics is that we all develop a sort of our, our own unique compensational survival pattern or how we learn to survive. And over time, literally that pattern gets stuck in our bodies. And you can look at someone's body and read their general structure and know in their development from pre-birth all the way up to puberty, where was their major trauma. And doesn't mean it was one specific thing, but where was the major stress in their life, which will show up was in terms of how they disconnected. So their chronic pattern or their chronic behavior pattern and structural pattern will be reflected in the the gestalt of their body shape and, and how they use their body. Now, in a more acute level, which is what you're talking about, is that first to just know every time you have a thought, let alone an emotion, there's some kind of somatic response. And what I work with the guys on doing is to get them to start to, to feel that. So you start with the assumption that your body's always responding. And one of the, the quickest ways to look at it and, and actually affect change is with your breath. Now, breath work has gotten very popular uh, over the last few years, which, which is great. And one of the reasons is because the breath is the interface between the autonomic nervous system what happens automatically, we're not generally aware of, and what we do have control of. 
the voluntary nervous system. So we can obviously control our breath. And so just noticing, and this is where a lot of the meditation, particularly the more mindfulness meditation comes in, is noticing how you're breathing or not breathing. Because in any emotional state, your breath will reflect your emotion. Now, the, the biggest one is in a sympathetic, uh, aroused state, fight or flight, we'll tend to breathe more from our chest. And in, in a more parasympathetic, relaxed state, we'll breathe more from our stomach, which is one reason that in so many meditations, they focus on belly breath, because as your stomach relaxes, your whole body relaxes, and you innately start to feel safe. So just keying into that, and the normally your breath should be both your belly, your diaphragm, and your chest. That's the normal breath. Uh, and so just being aware of that. And then also being aware of how you're moving or not moving when you're expressing yourself. Most Americans don't move a lot when we express ourselves, which doesn't mean there isn't some micro movements. And being aware of the micro movements will be a conduit into your deeper awarenesses and your emotional awarenesses. And thirdly, another thing you can do to learn for yourself is to watch other people. And so often it's easier to observe others before it is easy to observe ourselves. So, yeah, a great exercise, and I was doing a lot of traveling, was sitting in an airport and just watching people walk by. And you'd see the whole spectrum of people in an airport. And you get to see just as they walk by, you just get a hit of their life story. You know, what's their life story and where they're at in that moment? Because we can train ourselves to be conscious of what we are unconscious of. And like we were saying earlier, we read each other's bodies, but we do that unconsciously. And we can start to make that a conscious awareness. And one of the best ways to do that is to become more aware of your own experience. Mm. I love that. I love the exercise of being able to watch the people, watch their body language. It's funny as you were talking about the you know, we're not very, we don't gesture that, that much. I was kind of getting a chuckle. Cause I, I feel like when I'm on the podcast, I'm, you know, even though I'm sitting here, I'm constantly gesturing around and I use big gestures, but I, I think that's partly because of my past. I was a, I was a classical, uh, opera singer in my previous career. And so a lot oh, of wow. train, a lot of training with the breath, a lot of tuning into the body, a lot of you know big gestures on stage. And so I feel like, um, a good amount of what I learned in my previous career transferred into what I what I end up doing now. I love some of the information that you gave. I think that that's incredibly helpful. I want to just end this conversation with some thoughts around presence. You know, I think a lot of guys, to your point, hear sentiments from their partners like "I can't feel you," and you know, you're very distracted all the time. And and you know, from a lot of guys, it's like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm here. I'm sitting right next to you. <laughs> And, uh, so I, I don't really know what's going on. So how would you, yeah, maybe just how would you define presence and what do you notice a lot of men getting caught up in? Um, one of the ways I learned this is that my partner is a, a couples therapist, EFT, emotional focus therapist, and we do couples trainings and, and she teases me and she says, I'm the emotional hit guy. Because we, we, we do a lot of our work where there are people, we teach something and then they go off and they do a little exercise as a couple, you know, privately. And so I'll go around and this is what happens. <laughs> you know, the woman's getting frustrated like she always has because Joe here is not 
feeling anything. And, and that's her interpretation. And Joe, like me, is trying to tell her how he's feeling. And, uh, you know, and I have to intervene and go, okay, Joe, I know you're feeling, but she doesn't know it. And in some ways, you don't know it experientially. You think you know it. And so you're like debating with her. So I get him to slow down. I get him to feel. And, you know, I, I, and I tell him, look, look at Sue's eyes. Just look at her. Just see her. When you just see her there and she's looking at you, what do you feel? And often, you know, he'll say things that are not really feeling oriented. It'll be like observations. It'll be judgments, suggestions, fixes, all these things that we do as guys. And, and in some arenas, this is what we need to do. And we're actually reinforced for doing it. But in this arena, that's not what she wants. And so I go, I keep going to, okay, just look at her. Where do you feel? Okay. All right. And I notice that you're feeling some. Do you notice how, you know, you're getting a little teary-eyed or, you know, your breath has changed or you've got a little more color in your face? So I point out the physical things he's not physically aware of. And, and then he starts getting tuned into his body. And then I'll say, okay, now as you look at her, in your own words, what do you feel? And then inevitably he says something like, oh, I love her. And then she starts to get teary-eyed. And then he, and this is the co-regulation. He sees that, but one that she's getting teary-eyed, and two that, hell yeah, he he connected. You know, it's like wow, I I did it, I did it, I did it. And then I, you know, I help him, I, you know, a little more, and we get him to experience and express a little more, and and tell her, you know, what about you loving her right now, and what what do you see, and how does that feel or impact you? And she's just melting, she's just melting, and. And and she goes, that's all I want. That's I just want that. And, and it's all these lights are going off in his head. And so I keep sort of coaching him on that. So get him started. Now I say, all right, I'm going to leave, and I want you to practice. And I want you to practice with what you're feeling in the moment, not all these other things, your observations and your judgments, but what's your experience? And speak about what's scary. And and part of the reason he can do that, it gets back to what we said before, is one, he feels it's a safe in, uh, environment. She's not going to criticize him now. He understands, you know, to some extent, what the rules of engagement are, because I just gave them to him. He practiced it. He has some success, and he's on a roll, and, and he's down-regulating. He's relaxing, which naturally, sort of like with your little baby, has him wanting and being able to connect in its authentic way without any real effort. And so having a few of those experiences, be it with your partner or with other guys in like a group or something, starts to reunite these neural pathways in us that are still there. They just haven't been turned on maybe for decades. Yeah, I, I love the example because I feel like what you just described is how we as men can communicate the different layers of our internal experience that most of the time we get caught communicating the rational uh, viewpoint right well this is what i perceive and this is what i think and this is my opinion and usually when we say this is how i feel about it it's usually from that place right and rather than exactly well here's what i feel physically in my body which is a different layer of of communication and here's the emotional uh, attachment that's 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 behind that that's a different layer of communication as well so i, I love what you're saying because i think in many ways 
you just described presence as a more full experience uh, being more dialed into the fullness of our experience and then having the capacity to express it. Is that roughly accurate or would you alter anything? Yeah, that's beautifully described. And um, it's being able to express it from the experience, not the observation of it or the analysis or whatever. Subtle but huge distinction in terms of experience and the intellectual, which is how we've been trained. It's not our fault. It's how we've been trained. And we don't even know we've been trained that way because that's the water we've been swimming in for a few centuries. But as we shift out of that into speaking from the experience, even if the only thing you can say in that one moment is, I don't know, or I'm scared, or, or whatever, you start with whatever is true for you. And what's really interesting is you speak from what's true, going down that path, and then inevitably the next thing shows up and the next thing shows up. And your conscious mind in the beginning is going to be judging it and analyzing it and telling you, don't do that. You know, Basically, that's not the, the man thing to do. But just keep following that thread down into a deeper experience. But you start with whatever is true in the moment. That's well said. I, I appreciate that. Well, I think maybe we'll just wrap up. I have a different type of question for you to sort of close things off. You know, when you look at, if we just pull back from the individual experience and we look at men as a collective right now and just sort of what's happening culturally and, and globally, I'm curious to get your uh, take on what do you feel is some of the most relevant and important work for us as men to to take on and what are some of the hurdles that you feel like we're facing collectively you know big big question and sort of very different than what we were been talking about just to pick it up where we left off i think the biggest hurdle is the model that we're operating from and i think challenging that yeah maybe politically and all, all those ways that we might normally think about it but really challenging it in a more subtle experiential way of you know finding ways to new ways to connect with people particularly you know men as a f- way to catch up on what we didn't get to learn and and as a way to unlearn what's not working for men or women of the culture and you know I had a teacher many years ago say that um, the ultimate battle that that we are fighting that sets us up for all the other battles is the battle between the sexes mm. And that might be true that, you know, we have this battle that we've been set up with, you know, with, with women. And I think we see more and more all the ways that that shows up and the Me Too movement and all that's bringing it out. And I think that's great. But one of the things I say about that for men is that, yes, we need to become more aware. The bud is that we can't become more aware unless we feel safe. You know, we can't do the things that women want us to do and we want to do ultimately unless we feel emotionally safe to to tell a guy to do all these things. And it just becomes a longer and longer list of ways of doing and being. It becomes performative. And that's one of the problems that we have as men is that we've been trained to be the grunts, the performers. And we've in one way gotten really good at that. But we, and you know, as humans, men and women, have paid the price of that. And so to step away from being performers to just being, and to do that, we need to feel safe. And part of what I sort of see happening in all different ways is guys standing up for the need, the primordial need, 
to be safe so that they can uh, be vulnerable. And that's one of the huge benefits of the work that you and I and the rest of us do with men is that we create these emotionally safe places where we get to, you know, to feel, to experiment, to screw up, where there's no real consequence. Because in the way that society is set up, we at least feel there's a lot of consequences if we get this emotional thing wrong. Mm, so good. So well said. I I was on a big podcast recently that's run by two female comedians and they opened the podcast. They didn't tell me they were going to do this. They opened the podcast by asking me, what do you think that we as women can do better? <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, that's a, that's a big question. And no one's ever asked me that. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, I, you know, I was like, I think, yeah, I, and I said something similar to what you said around creating safety for, for men. But I also said, you know, I think that sometimes the expectations that some, not all, but some women have of men are, are woefully and wildly unrealistic, you know, and they're, they're expectations that we can never meet. And, and, and maybe we don't want to, you know, maybe that's not what we're looking for. So, well, and, and I don't think women are really looking for, and, you know, living in Boulder and, 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 and just sort of seeing these women that are really working on things and they, they want a sensitive man. But as like Robert Grover says in his book, you know, No More Mr. Nice Guy, you know, being too nice and too sensitive, which is what I was trying to be, really backfires. You don't have real relationships when you're being, you know, you're focused on being nice or sensitive because women and humans just need the full spectrum of an experience. Yeah. And I feel like just to, just to like put the, I don't even know what the sentiment is that I'm trying to say, but just to close it off, it seems like the more that we do this work, the more capacity that we have as men to access assertiveness, you know, and honesty and the courage to be bold and brave in our relationships, especially, you know, whether that's communicating what we want sexually or being able to move through a conflict or hear our partner and, and you know, what, what they're going through. So, you know, I, f I just wanted to sort of land that home because I feel like the notion sometimes is that by doing emotional work, it'll soften me as a man, when in reality, it, it emboldens us and strengthens us in ways that we can't imagine. I've, I've seen that in my own life and in thousands of men's lives who have done this type of work. And so, so much respect and honor, as, as you said before, for you and the work that, that you at, at every man are doing. If people want to learn a little bit more about you personally, where can they go to learn about you? Yeah, just one quick comment. That What Please. you just described is right on. We call it vulnerable assertiveness, hmm. being assertive and vulnerable at the same time. So, yeah, they can find me um, at everyman.com, and that second E is missing in every man. And my own site is owenmarcus.com. Uh, um, and, yeah, check us out. Uh, you're welcome to contact me. I'd be glad to talk to you. We have a lot of uh, things that we give men from trainings to free experiences to memberships or a lot of other experiences, virtual training, live trainings. And we're really focused on giving men these skills so that um, in some ways they don't need us. Uh, mm. But what happens, as you know, is men come because they need something, you know, and they, they're in pain. And as they learn all of the things that we teach them, they want to stay connected to these men in an authentic way. And, and I think that's what, so many men are looking for. Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Owen, for your for your time and your wisdom and your insight today. And for everyone that's out there, we'll have the links for all that in the show notes. Uh, so go and check out every man in Owen's work. And as always, until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Mm -hmm.